Good morning, everybody around the world who's listening to our podcast, Saving Tomorrow's Planet, where we speak to pioneering people taking action to save the planet. Well, today's going to be a little different because we've spoken to a number of people all around the world, and I want to summarize a little bit what are the key learnings I've got from speaking to these inspiring people. So it's going to be me talking about five themes that I think are important and that we've heard consistently, not only from our speakers, but from other people I speak to as the chairman of Kantar's sustainability and inclusion practice. Now, the first is to think about why is it that we've generated so much plastic? Why have we generated so much global warming? And what are perhaps three words, which uh, actually I've tried to have with the word C as the start, that sort of summarize the, the drivers to this? And for me, they are three words. Convenience is a huge driver to why we have so much plastic, why we put so much packaging and products and things into plastic because it brings great convenience to all of us and to the supply chain. The next thing is low cost or cost. And when we think of clothing, for example, you know, why is it that we struggle to recycle any clothing because it's made of so many different uh, man-made fibers blended with a little bit of cotton? Well, it's because cotton is very expensive and man-made fibers are very cheap. And we can see in multiple places where it's actually the drive to the lowest cost to, of course, make the greatest profit or to bring consumers the lowest cost products. And, you know, we've seen how many incredible things we can buy at really unbelievably low costs. And the last one is a bit of a strange word, but I'm going to call it comfort. You know, in some ways, the human race has been going from the discomfort of living in a hut, of which I've you know, visited many times and stayed in many times in developing countries, you know, which are incredibly basic and where life is really tough, you know, where you're cooking on an open fire, where you have to walk perhaps not very far or even miles to get water where there's no electricity to the lifestyles we all live in in countries you know such as China, America, the UK, Europe and, and of course many cities and most cities around the world we live in a state of relative comfort and we seek more comfort and so we seek things that make us more comfortable whether it's uh, an advanced car with lots of electronics and seats and materials, all of which generate in their production tremendous global warming. So those three C's are the big drivers. And one of the things that's interesting that comes from the conversations with Kantar, which is the world's largest consumer tracking company, is what we call the value action gap of consumers. And well, what is this? Well, it is that when you do interview people such as you and me and, and consumers around the world, you know, everybody understands that to be sustainable is a you know prerogative or you know a priority. Now that's a better word, a priority. And yet when it comes to the act of actually buying things, we're not demonstrating through our actions the expression of importance that we're placing on sustainability. We're buying the things that are convenient, are low price, or give us comfort over and above things that perhaps just may not be quite so convenient, perhaps a little bit more expensive, or perhaps not quite as easy to use and as comfortable, let's call it that. And 
that is a problem and it's a problem because it's permeating into some company's psyche about you know the benefits of actually bringing solutions which are and can address the climate crisis because They've had experiences of creating little refill packs. And I was speaking to a major global multinational that has developed some fantastic refills. But frankly, the sales of those refills are very low. And when I looked at it, I could see that, yes, they were good value for money. Yes, they were convenient. But that sort of comfort factor, that sense that you're buying something that looks special, that makes you feel good, wasn't there. The refill pack looked sad. It was just a small little white plastic bottle where the full-size pack had lots of colour on, was very ergonomically designed. And so you could see that there was a gap between what people wanted uh, and what they experienced and what we were offering them. So this is not a small issue. And that leads me to the third observation I've had and quite a substantial change in my thinking, actually, because when I launched this podcast and if you go to some of the first episodes, you'll hear me making the statement that I believe companies are going to solve the problem of climate change, not governments. And my strong feeling then, and and to a degree now, is that governments have lacked the boldness, the bravery and the uh, willingness to create the regulation and rules required to create change and to force behavioural change, to force consumers essentially to shift their behaviours. And that it will be companies that will create the solutions. And I was very inspired by Tesla and really the shining light that that brand and that business has brought, which shows that when you create something which actually looks better. It's got more comfort, if I use that word, than potentially existing cars. And its cost is slightly more, but its convenience in terms of its performance is equal to or sometimes from speed even better uh, than existing cars, and particularly with the mileage that it can do on a single charge. You know, I believe that if companies invented things that were as stunning as the Tesla, consumer behavior would shift because the new product was actually more appealing, if slightly more expensive at the beginning, than the existing products. But I've actually shifted my thoughts on this, which is that I think we may need government regulation to put what I'm calling lines in the sand. And a line is in a sand is a definitive date when something needs to change. And I've been rather inspired by the fact that the British government has made a statement that by on at 2030, all new cars that are sold have to be electric. Well, by putting the line in the sand in what is a short amount of time, it's given great clarity to companies and to consumers that on that date, the world will change. And there's going to be no negotiation. There's going to be no change. It's just the same as the removal or the charging or the banning of plastic bags in retailers. You know, a statement of regulation was put in place And millions, if not billions, of plastic bags now around the world have stopped being supplied to consumers in supermarkets, and they've had to adjust. It's slightly less convenient, probably about the same cost, actually, for the consumer, even though the bags were free, the new bags that they can use, and the comfort is sort of there. But, you know, it's definitely not as convenient, but they've had to adapt because that regulation, because that line in the sand was placed there. So my sense is that that is going to be uh, a pattern uh, for the future. Now, you could say, well, hang on a minute. 
We haven't exactly seen governments change. We've not really seen them get more bold, have we? We've not really seen them be more committed to regulation, have we? Well, there's a couple of things that are shifting. And let's go through them. The first one, actually, and uh, is one that won't be a surprise to you, is the pandemic. Now, there are two elements to the insight about the pandemic. The first one is that governments have realized that they can be bold, bolder than they could even imagine. The whole closing down of borders and societies and locking people up, you know, no government would have imagined that they had the power or the capability to do that or that there wouldn't be revolutions of which they weren't worried. And what they've discovered is that they can take bold action and people will adjust. So I think they've got more confidence. The second thing is slightly aligned because I want to get to the third point, but it's around obviously Trump and Biden and that clearly Trump was completely disbelieving of the climate crisis, I think we could argue, and was definitely not interested in, in putting in regulation that might impact businesses, particularly, let's say, the coal and the fracking and and the mining industry as examples, while Biden is on a different place and has definitely, you know, wanted to uh, reconnect with the Paris Accord, which Trump had uh, wanted it or did leave. And therefore, that definitely has shifted the global uh, center of gravity to consider and to be willing to embrace at a global level changes in regulation. But actually, this is one of the things that I was told by one of the speakers and has really been resonating with me strongly that the COVID crisis has cost governments around the world billions, if not trillions in America, and they need to recapture or claw back those costs, those investments, those debts, and the place that they will look is taxation of some sort, or they will look to companies to contribute to the funding. And the question we can ask, well, is are they just going to put blanket taxes? And, you know, will that do anything for the climate crisis? Well, no, I don't think so. And this is what the speaker mentioned, which is that when we think of industry and consumer products and, and most things we consume the companies that produce them will be very, very concerned about the sourcing of those ingredients. They may even own farms, for example, if they're in the food or if they're in the alcohol industry, of which I've spoken to quite a lot and you know, really discovered that they're very strongly into agriculture. So they're concerned about the beginning. They're then obviously very involved with the manufacturing side. So they will be very concerned about the bottles or the packaging or the... the uh, uh, manufacturing of the product or the processing of it, then they're going to be very, very concerned with the selling of it. And how do they get it from their factories to the shops? And then how do they, you know, encourage people to buy it? But then they let go of their interest and responsibility. And they let go of it when it comes from the house and has been consumed and then has to go somewhere. At that point, actually, the responsibility moves to either local councils or to the government to collect the refuge, to, if it's being recycled, sort it, then to either sadly put it into landfill or to somehow send it to either a local recycling or, as we've all learnt, a lot of the plastic and paper and materials that can or possibly could be recycled have been sent first to China, who's now, I think, said they don't want to have them anymore, then to Indonesia and Malaysia, then said, stop, you know, it's all being overflowing in our country into Turkey. And so with all of those aspects, though, it is the public authorities who seem to be in most countries 
charged with uh, those costs and those actions. Now, of course, in some ways, they, they recoup the costs a little bit through local taxation and so on, but not specifically the cost of all of that waste. So, as one of our speakers said, you know, their sense is that governments are, and apparently there is a regulation in development for launch in 2025, where each of the pieces of packaging that are created, companies will have to contribute to pay for their uh, waste collection and processing. Now, that will create a lot of behaviors because companies, you know, will not like the idea that they're being impacted on their profits in that way. And we're going to see a number of actions, I think, coming out, not least uh, the idea of deposits, because deposits are one way where a company can get their packaging back and reuse it multiple times and therefore reduce the cost. It may also be something that governments insist on because it's a way to dramatically cut the amount of single-use waste. Um, and it does have consequences because that sort of packaging is, is frankly less attractive because it gets very scuffed, it's heavier, it's less uh, convenient in a way because you've got to find a way of bringing it back. It's less comforting because it's scratched and it's heavier and it's thicker. Um, but it is uh, probably the same cost. So we can see, except for the fact you have to pay the deposit and then you get to get the deposit back. So there's lots of complications as a result of that regulation or that new pressure that I think is going to come. So this leads me to another subject that we've heard across various speakers and uh, I've also, again, heard in Kanta, and I've got my own strong views about. And that is regarding how do you set yourself up as an organization or even as an individual? And I'm going to talk about, you know, my life a little bit in this to be able to change that value action gap, change your behaviors towards convenience, towards cost and towards comfort and actually make a dramatic impact in the way that we consume to reduce global warming. Well, it comes down to one of the simplest words. It's the word that drives the whole of capitalism, and it is the word innovation. You know, we have to rely now or open up or start more innovation. And of course, we've seen tremendous innovation in solar panels. We've seen tremendous innovation in wind power, in electric batteries. All of these initiatives, which are having a dramatic impact, have come from a process of innovation. But we need to do more. And the point that I want to make for those of you who work in companies, and this is the point I make to many companies I speak to, is that you know many companies will have some sort of R&D or development or innovation process. But that will be usually focused or 100% focused on developing more of the same products that they've already been very successful in creating, because that is the easiest route to money. It's the capability that the company knows best. It's least disruptive to the way that the systems and the, the, uh, the company performs. And therefore, that's where people will put all their effort. But if we're going to create disruption, if we're going to create true innovation, which creates different ways that people consume, it disrupts the convenience journey, it disrupts perhaps the cost journey, it disrupts the comfort journey, hopefully either being able to deliver all those three things, but in a better form, which you could argue that Tesla is doing, or with one of those suffering a little bit, like the uh, banning of plastic bags and the requirement to bring your own bag, which is less convenient, then 
you actually have to set up a completely discrete innovation process. It's got to have its own teams. Now, those teams could be existing teams that are also doing this, but there's got to be a sense that this is running in parallel, that this is running on its own track with its own investment plan, with its own KPIs, with its own reporting. It can't get muddled up in the business as usual because the business as usual will be constrained by existing ways of manufacturing, uh, in existing P&Ls, existing processes, and the sorts of innovation that we require to change the climate requires disruption. So completely different manufacturing approaches, potentially completely different materials. And, you know, a great example of that is I've told you before that, you know, when I was at the body shop, I sought to create a packaging to replace these 60 odd million plastic body butter pots with a paper or cardboard. Actually, what I wanted was a material made from the leaves of sugarcane that was going to be burnt, but could be recycled into a material. And, you know, everything about that was different. The sourcing of the material was different. The manufacturing of those pots was different. Um, the heat that could be applied to them was different. Um, but, you know, it required, therefore, an end-to-end -end different approach to innovation. And therefore, that's what companies need to set up if they're going to succeed. Otherwise, they will not succeed because they won't be disruptive. They won't put the money against it. The people won't focus against it because it's more complicated than existing products. Now, I'm going to give you a very small, I mean, it's almost pathetically small example of that disruption and that innovation. But it's, it's simply one of our speakers, a very inspiring young guy, you know, several months ago, talked about how you could take food waste and uh, compost it. Well, that seems, you know, quite an easy thing to say, but, you know, it requires a disruption because it's not quite as convenient. Actually, the cost is the same. The comfort actually becomes much greater because there's a phenomenal reward by actually seeing the, com the, the compost being created. But you actually do have to invest in a container, a composter, which, um, you know, is not expensive, but it's not cheap. And you also need the space to place it either on your balcony or in your garden or somewhere. But clearly what you have to do is then to fill a piece of packaging that you've got to get, uh, a, bot a container in your kitchen, into which you have to place all the vegetable ingredients, not meat possibly and uh, definitely because that will attract the rats. So it really is for vegetable mass. But you then got to fill that up. And rather than chucking that in the bin or putting that into the, the corporate uh, or government recycling uh, containers, if you have that, you need to take it out to your compost area and slowly watch it change. So that requires a, a small innovation, but a small, definite change in behavior. And you're not running your waste in exactly the same way as you run your other waste. It, it follows a different route. It requires a different system. So that's one way to think about the point that I'm trying to make. So all in all, I think we've seen, and hopefully you'll note that all of these um, five areas that I've brought out and spoken about have been inspired by the conversations we've had with uh, a number of our speakers and, and people outside too. And I have to say, you know, the conversations that you hear in these podcasts absolutely and utterly nourish my thinking about how we're going to have to pioneer to save the planet and then in, in the conversations I'm having with corporations, which, you know, tend to be in air conditioned concrete offices where we're completely cut off 
from nature. We're completely cut off from the, the coal face of innovation and entrepreneurship and saving the planet. I'm able to bring forward these stories that we've heard all together and they nourish the thinking, they nourish the conversation, they humanize what needs to be done. And, you know, as I think again about the different countries from, you know, Bali to Ukraine to uh, Costa Rica and more that we've got coming, um, you know, I hope you will join me and continue to join me to listen to Saving Tomorrow's Planet. And the one thing you can do if you are to do one action for me and one action for you I would say the action for me is please, please do recommend this podcast to friends because, you know, we are here to spread the word and we get great feedback. And the action for you is to think about what is that one innovation that you could apply to yourself that will disrupt yourself because it will disrupt either the cost of something, the convenience or the comfort. But if you do that, you will be moving on that value action gap, which we see is the gap between what we say we'd like to do and what we do. So it doesn't have to be big. It could be as small as composting or it could be far greater. But that is the challenge I'm going to give you this week to see what you can do. And if you want to contact me, please, we would love to hear from you. We've got Instagram and you know you can go to Saving Tomorrow's Planet on Instagram and message us, and I'd love to hear from you there. Or you can go to our website, savingtomorrowsplanet.com, and there's a contact email there. Or you can just write to me, jeremy at savingtomorrowsplanet.com. So thank you very much, and look forward to uh, speaking to a new guest next week, and have a great week. Bye.